We are in Ephesians chapter 2, the first nine verses, and I've been thinking about the gospel, about spiritual awakening and revival, and something that struck me about what appears to be going on, not only at Asbury, but several of the other schools. It's not preaching. Now that hurts for a preacher to say that. But it's, it's not... You know what? The gospel, man, it, it just needs to get out. Whether it's preaching or singing or testimonies or, or through prayer, there's a number of ways because the truth of the matter is, it's God. It's God. And so... Let's look, Ephesians 2, 1-9. through 9. If you'll stand in our great God's honor, I, w- I want to read the text aloud. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray. Master, I think of the Apostle Paul that said... um, There's only one thing I boast in. It is the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We come today, Lord, looking at the beautiful Gospel, Father. That's what brings awakening is the recognition of the Gospel, the good news. And and Father, we just want to be open We want Your Spirit to speak through us, Lord. And so, Father, I ask You say far more than I can um, in this time. But, Father, we just want Your Spirit to continue to have freedom in this time. And So, Father, just minister to us. We love You, Lord, and we just simply say, Holy Spirit, You're welcome. In Your name we pray. Amen. I want to look at five stages of the gospel this morning. And really the first three stages, everybody experiences. And praise God for the two that follow. (laughs) Because the first three, it's not good news, it's really bad news. But let's jump right in here. Uh, It's interesting because when you look at this wonderful passage, it's like going from the graveyard to glory. And we start out in these first three, it's graveyard stuff. (laughs) So let's jump in here, and here's the first one uh, in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So the first stage for everyone in humanity is you're dead. 
Now, I realize that's not a very encouraging word. It's not uplifting. Something to tell. Praise God! The preacher told me today I was dead. Well, you may not be dead now, but you start out dead. That's what the Scripture tells us. I mean, think about it. Guys, dead on arrival spiritually. Psalm 51, King David said, I was born a sinner. From the moment of being conceived by my mother, I was a sinner. And that is the plight that we all face. In this culture, we say, well, the problem is psychological. And so, you know, I need to go find the best therapist out there. Or the problem is social. So, I need to be hard at work to fix these social problems. Or I need to be in a place where I can learn what needs to happen and, and what I can do. But, but here's the truth, guys. You can go to the best therapy environment and psychological counseling in the Tri-Cities and at the end of the process, what you'll have is a well-adjusted center. Or you can put a person in religious schools, religious institutions and churches or places where they can learn what the problems truly are and then set them up to attack those problems. But what you'll have is just a very religious center. There's only one way to deal with sin and it is to go to the heart of the problem. To see where we really are. We're dead. Dead in our sins. That's what the Scripture tells us. Just like when you go to a funeral home and you carry on a conversation at a funeral, hey, guess what? The corpse doesn't hear a thing. There's no sense of hunger in the corpse. Why? Because the corpse is, is dead. There's no life there. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things of God for they are spiritually discerned he can't understand them why because there is there is no life spiritually there remember the parable of the sower and jesus was said that there was seed that was thrown among the pathway and as soon as the seed fell on the hard ground it was unable to penetrate the soil so it never took root it never grew there was never life so this is a picture of the truth, the good news. The Word is shared, the Word is preached, but it falls on hard soil. There's not a heart that is open to hear the message, to respond to the message. And that's where we all start out. In the graveyard. That's where we start out. Now how do we get dead? <laughs> well, notice what it says here. It says, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. Well, let's start with sins. Many of you guys know the word sin means to miss the mark. It's used 173 times in the New Testament. It just means you may be good, but you are not good enough. That's where we all are. Uh, I thought, I'm going to use this example of swimming. When I was in college, I've always enjoyed exercise. And I, I met this one guy, man, he was a swimmer. He would get up in the morning and he'd swim two and a half miles. And then in the evening... He would swim another two and a half miles. And I thought, well, if that rascal can swim five miles a day, I can swim a mile. No. <laughs> Didn't happen. I made it a half a mile and I thought, man, this is tough. This is hard. But let's say that this guy, I can't call him a friend because I didn't know him that well. I was just 
jealous he was so physically fit, I guess, you know, able to do that. But, but let's say that he, he dove into the body of water and, and he swam five miles. It's pretty, pretty awesome, pretty impressive, at least to me. But then I consider a guy like Matthew Webb. Matthew Webb was the first guy in the 1920s that swam across the English Channel. 21 miles. Whew. Four times, you know, four times as much as what my acquaintance did in college. It's pretty impressive, right? But, but then you think about Sue Thomas, an American in 2018 who had breast cancer, went through treatments into 2019, swam the English Channel four times continuously. So what do we got here? 20, 84 miles of continuous swimming. Now that's impressive. But here's the deal. Who can swim across the ocean? What is 84 miles in context of the ocean? And what is my goodness? What is my righteousness compared to all holy God? It says in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. You are not perfect. I am not perfect. And as the old saying goes, it really is true. If you find the perfect church, don't join it or you'll ruin it. Why? Because we're broken. We're sinners. And then it says, In your sins and your trespasses. What, what is a trespass? It means to cross a known boundary. It's willful sin. You know, it, it's like the kid and parents says, don't do this. We well, you know what's going to happen. He's going to do it. That's what happens. Don't touch that hot stove. Don't do it. Ah! What happened? He touched the hot stove. Or I always was amazed with this. Who writes this sign? Caution, wet paint. Don't touch. It's just an invitation. Somebody's bound to touch it. You know, the, the trespasses, that's the stuff we do. The sins is our condition. The trespasses are the action that comes from the condition. Now, let's look at the second one of these. Verse 2, we're drifting. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I thought you just said, we're dead. That we're, what are you saying, preacher? We're the dead walking? You know, with that TV show. I don't, man, I've never even seen that, but a lot of people have. Uh, but the point is, hey, we are alive physically. Our bodies are alive. Uh, our minds are alive. Uh, some would question how alive, but they're thinking, they're working. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, the Scriptures make it clear that what is dead is the Spirit within us. And it is because of the sin that we have. That is why there is death. And he says, in the way you once lived, or in some translations, the way you once walked. One commentator translated it as wandering. And so the picture is, man, you're walking throughout life and you have no idea why you're here. You have no idea where you were going. You have no sense of purpose. And you just don't even understand why you're here. Drifting. That is the condition of mankind. Dead spiritually. And because there's no life spiritually, we have no idea what's going on. So we're just meandering around, wandering around, walking around, trying to find answers. And as we look at this world system, uh, the word cosmos, it means it is an ordered world system. And the Scripture tells us who's in control of that system. It's the devil. It's the prince of this air. And so the more we try to follow this organized world system, the more down we get, the more depressed we get. 
we discover we're dead and we're just drifting and there aren't answers there. And that leads us to the third one. Okay? You go from dead to drifting to... Man, we're all doomed. Look at verse 3. What a verse. What a verse. (laughs) All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So people say, well, you know, I might have got in trouble occasionally. Or, you know, I might have been bad, but not as bad as that person over there. Or that one there. Or that one there. Come on, man, I'm pretty good. But the Bible says all of us. And man, it uses that term, children of wrath, or objects of wrath, or, or uh, one I read the other day, it said, um, deserving of wrath. We're doomed. That's what the Bible clearly tells us. And yet there are people that want to change that. In progressive Christianity, uh, I read a book by Alyssa Childers called Another Gospel. And one of the points that Alyssa makes is there are actually people in the progressive church that are saying to believe the substitutionary atonement, which is the truth in the Scriptures, that because we are sinners, there was only one way to find forgiveness, and that was through a Savior. And so God sent His one and only Son to die for us so that we would not perish. And that is called substitutionary atonement. He took our place. The judgment we deserved, He took upon Himself. And in the progressive church, they refer to that, I don't want to say everybody in the progressive church, but a segment of the progressive church refers to that as cosmic child abuse. How could a father do that to his son? That's cosmic child abuse. But they obviously don't understand. They don't understand. God looked and He saw that there was only one solution to the sin issue. It was the death of His Son. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. What a great verse. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. The one who had no sin became sin for you and for me. In Christ... We become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. We are doomed, and that is the hope that is provided. Listen to John 3.18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Praise God. No condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's just the truth of the gospel. We are in a state of doom because of being dead spiritually and drifting. We're in that state of doom. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. When it comes to heaven and hell, God is pro-choice. I love that. Um, God is a gentleman. He has provided free choice. And He puts the ball back in our court. 
once we hear the message of the gospel, once we hear our plight, that we are dead, that we are drifting, and we are doomed, then we have a choice to make. Will we respond to God's solution by receiving God's solution in our lives? So what are we going to do? Well, that brings us to verse 4. And man, I love it. Delivered. It's talking about conversion. Man, if we had to stop at point three, you shouldn't have even come. But now it gets fun for a preacher. We get to this one here. Let me read verse four. He says, if I can see it, this is a problem because this is big print. Okay. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace. You have been saved by grace. Now, just a couple of quick points here. When we're delivered first, God initiates it. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. He has to start the work. We can't do it. I had a conversation with someone the other day. And man, we were talking out of two different worldviews say the least. It was hard for us to really communicate because our basis of defining words and understanding them was so different. And this person I talked to, um, I said, well, man, what's your hope? How, how, how do you change? How, how are you going to find forgiveness? How are you gonna be he said, well, he said, I've got to get in touch with who I really am. And I've, I've got to look inside properly so that I can get rid of the lies that they're really saying about me so I can find the true me. But see, here's the deal. You can't reason enough. You can't philosophize enough. You can't fix it enough to get saved. It has to come from God. It's not something that I can engineer and He does it through His wonderful love and mercy, His character. I love When you think about His love, because of His great love, and we are going to spend all of eternity learning how much He loves us. We just got a drip. We're going to get the deluge. I mean, the pouring rain, the flood of love. We just got to drop now. It's going to take all of eternity I love it, you know, in Amazing Grace, when we're there 10,000 years, right? Yeah, man, we're just going to keep praising God. You know, just, when we begun, it's keep going, you know. I love it. Uh, through His character, His mercy, his, you know, we, we've all heard mercy is, man, it's not getting what you deserve. We're dead, we're drifting, we're doomed. What do we deserve? It ain't good, right? It's either judgment or forgiveness. But if we stop at the first three, it's no way to have forgiveness. We're stuck. But His love, seeing how great His love is that He sent His Son and His mercy that He didn't wallop us with judgment, but instead He loved us. Man, it's just incredible to, to think about that. I think in the book of James, you, you get in James chapter 2 and, and he says um, that... We are to love one another. And he's talking about in chapter 2, don't show favoritism and all that stuff. And then he says, look, we're all sinners. We've all screwed it up. And, and then he gets uh, down to uh, 
I think it's verse 11, and, and, he, and he tells us, and no, it's 12 and 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. But then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And man, that sentence kept going through my mind. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, what we deserve is the judgment, but the mercy of God, one at the cross, that's available to each of us. And, and that's the story of being a believer. That's the story of conversion. Uh, let me give you a, a fourth here. Um, we must cooperate with it. So what does it say? By grace you've been saved through faith. We, we do have a responsibility here. God initiates it. I know God does the work, but there is a, a partnership. There is a cooperation. And, and by faith, we are to hold on to God. We are to reach out to God, and we are to believe in what He has said. Our response is so important. And the two are laced together, repentance and faith. You believe by faith, but instantaneously at the same time means there's a change of mind and heart. That's what repentance means. So when you place your belief in Christ, there's a change that happens. It's an instantaneous change, and it has to, of course, manifest itself as evidence that you really something really happened to you. You really met Jesus. But here's what Baptists do, and I know because I is one. Okay? Here's what we do. You ever heard the saying, it's not how high you jump, but how straight you walk when you come down? Well, we Baptists spend all our time making sure we're walking straight. But guys, I wonder sometime if we've ever jumped. Have we ever jumped in faith? Or have we forgotten what it means? Or are we just Walking straight. Look at me. I'm a good Baptist. I'm walking straight. Man, it's got to be both. It is the doctrine. It is the belief. It is holding on to that by faith. But in the midst of that, it, it, it results in walking straight. It, it, it results in repentance, a change of mind and heart. I wanted to share with you um, a testimony that I found. I've been reading all about this Asbury Revival. And uh, I found uh, several different testimonies, but this one struck me. I just wanted to share it with you because I, I thought it's a wonderful picture of how faith and repentance come together and how there's conversion. Um, here we go. This is from a person from Ohio that drove out there. Jesus has jumped all over me tonight. I'm an apostolic Pentecostal, and I've just witnessed something I've never experienced before in my life. Complete freedom in worship. It's nobody's fault but my own. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and I've just experienced something that has changed me. Now I can relate to this next part. I'm used to three songs, two testimonies, a sermon. We're out the door to the Mexican restaurant before you can say, Hello, Dolly. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but so many times as Christians, we rush through our services and we miss out on telling what happened. 
Tonight, I sit in a revival at 10.30 at night. It's packed out. No end in sight. There are three chapels on this campus. They're packed out. The balconies and the front steps are packed out with people seeking God. The front lawn's packed. You're getting the picture. It's insane. People are still pouring in. There are no professional singers or piano players. They told us that if someone felt led, they got up and sang. There is complete peace and order to it all. People are singing to the top of their lungs, good singers and bad singers. All are singing together without the fear of who can sing better. Everybody's singing. It's so beautiful. People are bawling. People are hollering. People are clapping. People are jumping. People are down in the floor praying and seeking the face of God. There's no end to the praise and the repentance. I have never seen so many Bibles in so much sincerity in all of my life and I could feel a hunger I've never felt before. There's no order to the service. It just keeps going and going. Nobody wants to leave. A man, a preacher kind of guy, an ex-Jew, he told he was, uh, stood up and said to the congregation, What is happening? It's Jesus. There's no program. There's no one telling anyone what to do. People are literally just standing and feeling after the presence of God. It goes from a hush to a roar. Man, don't you want just a taste of that? I wish I could bring it. But here, here's my challenge to you. I've got one more point I'm going to sneak in here. You know, preachers are almost never done. Let's get on our faces before God. He, thank you, Scott, as a man. <laughs> um, let's, let's really pray. I mean, I agree so much with what Samantha said. God is moving uh, in, in a generation that, quite honestly, my generation is kind of like, Meh. I don't see that happening. And it's ha It just shows you, man, God... The problem's with me. God wants to change us. And, and man, we just need to pray. I don't know if this is the start of a spiritual awakening or not. It's what I want. But I tell you, I can't, although I can't tell you if it is or not, what I can tell you is, man, let's just get on our faces and pray. Let's just get serious before God. And maybe something I'm struggling with, maybe, maybe I, I might even need to fast a little bit. And I like food. But you know, I'm not one of these that's going to start out with a three-day fast or something. Maybe a meal. But you know what? You take that time, whatever it is, and use it to pray. But, but let's, let, let's do that. Let's do it. All right, I've got to get to this point so I can get you guys home. Right? Uh, verse 6. Um, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show us the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're destined. We have a destiny. You know what? In Jesus Christ, you are no longer wandering around aimlessly. We have marching orders. We have good news. We have hope. Man, we have a book of God at work in people's lives. 
It says the Word of God is living and active. It still is. God is still doing a work through His Word and in us and in our hearts. Um, 85 times in the New Testament in Christ Jesus. So it's important stuff. Are you in Christ Jesus? It just excites me thinking about it. I'm in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I love it. Uh, Colossians 3.3, I get thinking of a verse now. You know, preachers chasing rabbits. But it says, For Christ died. Now your life is hidden in God. Man. Think about it. That old devil, he's like, Todd's such a sinner. Father says, yeah, but I see Jesus. Think about it, man. When you are accused, the Father looks and sees Jesus. That is the power of the gospel. Um, seated in the heavenly realms, positionally, that's where we are now. Even though we're here, and even though we're going through this life, and even though a lot of times we're not heads, and do not obey God, and fall away, Positionally, we are securely waiting to be seated in the heavenly realms with God. That is the work of Jesus. That, how could we not worship Him? How could we not praise Him? How could we not bow our lives before Him and surrender? And, and that's, not, you know, that's not the end. Because that someday we really will be seated with Him. And so when we get discouraged, let's look to the hope that is before us, that awaits us in Christ. I love it in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's where we are now. Waiting for the glorious hope. The blessed Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. We're in the waiting mode now, right? Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I love that little word they got in there. Eagerly. We don't just sit around waiting... Well, I'm saved, soured, and sanctified, and just waiting for old Jesus to get here. Are you kidding me? No, there, there is an excitement because you, you've, you've caught a little glimpse of what awaits you. The blessed hope. The Savior. That's one for whom we wait. Verse 7, he says, In the ages to come, it's coming. He might show the incomparable riches of His grace and kindness. In Christ. Listen, man, our hope goes far beyond our economy in an election. It's fixated upon the destiny that is before us that was won at a cross by Jesus Christ. And I really believe, I'm going to say this, then, then I'm done, and hopefully I'm not a liar. That's what happens to preachers. We say we're done, we're not. Uh, but, uh, man, when I think about spiritual awakening, it's something God has to do. But here, here's, what I, here's what I believe on our end. Man, we've we got to start looking at the gospel. We've got to start getting excited when we grab hold of the promises of God. We've got to really understand that we are forgiven. We've got to understand that our destiny means we will be in heaven and we will be seated. 
Because of the cross, forgiven, worshiping, free from the, the worry and the cares of this crazy world and the accuser. And, and, and that is what awaits us. And that's why we want Jesus to come so desperately. Because we fight and, and we struggle in this moment. But we are not alone. He is with us. His Spirit. And, and so, I think what happens, I think what happens, man, it becomes so powerful, it becomes so real, that we can't help but have revival. And, and that, that's, what I, that's what I hope for. Let's pray. God, I, I thank You for these people whom I love, Lord. And I thank You that You love all of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, hopefully we've got it, but let's get it, Lord. Let's get it down deep. Because when it gets down deep, we get so full it has a leak out. Bring revival. Bring awakening. Get me out of the way if I'm why it's not here. And may we all pray that. And Lord, we want you. We want you. So Father, just move among us in this time. We call invitation. May we respond to your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.